Well, I am excited to be able to launch and start this brand new message series that we're calling The Generous Life. And the reason why I'm so excited about this series is because as I look around, one of the things that I've noticed is that one of the things the world needs more of are kind, loving, and generous people. Wouldn't you agree? That as you look back over the last couple years, you have to see the obvious nature of a world, a society, a culture that has increasingly forgotten what it looks like to be kind, what it looks like to be loving, what it looks like to be generous. And this is a topic, this is something that you and I most definitely need to think about and talk about because God has something to say about it. Now, before we get started today, as we kind of launch things, I thought it'd be important for all of us to get sort of on the very same page by defining some terms. So let's start with the generous life. When, when I talk about in this series, when we talk about in this series, the generous life, here's what I'm talking about. A way of living that's marked by regular acts of giving. It even rhymes. A way of living that's marked by regular acts of giving. It's not a moment, the generous life. It's not a capital campaign, the generous life. It's an entirely different way of living. And when you think of generosity, probably if you're anything like me, the first thing you think about is money and finances. And absolutely, that's part of it. And we'll be talking a little bit about that throughout this series. But what I want you to understand when it comes to the generous life, it's way more than just our finances. It's being generous with an encouraging word and with our mouths. It's being generous, I think a big one is, with our time. That when we see someone hurting, instead of just saying the obligatory, I'll pray for you and move on, which prayers are good, that we're generous with our time to figure out not only how we can help, but then actually helping. The generous life is seen in a, a way that we act and interact at school. The generous life is seen in the way that we act and interact at work, in the neighborhood, with people that we love and with people that we don't like so much. The generous life is seen not in a campaign and not in a moment, but it's seen in a lifestyle. And here's something that I know about you. Here's what I know. You value generosity. What I mean by that is, if, if someone was to look at you and say, hey, that's a generous guy, that's a generous gal, to a person, we would like that. We would appreciate that. You would rather be considered generous than stingy, <laughs> generous than greedy, right? You value generosity. I know that about you. And if you're someone who's a Christian, if you're someone who follows Jesus, not only do you value generosity, but God has called you to be generous. You see, if you're a Christian, being generous is not an option. 
Being generous is a lifestyle. Being generous is something that God has called us to do and to live our lives in that way. In fact, there's this verse, this passage, this thing that Jesus said the night before he died. He was connecting with his disciples about some of the things that were gonna be the most important for them to remember. And it's a verse we come back to a lot here at North Cross. What he does is he He reminds the disciples of what the Christian life looks like, of what mark or what attribute, what characteristic will his people most be known for? And you know what it has to do? It is connected to generosity. It is connected to generosity in many ways. Here's here's the verse. We've looked at it before. Jesus said, by this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples. You're my followers. You are my people. If you, and you know what it doesn't say? If you go to church on the weekend and wear a necklace with a cross on it. That's not the encompassing characteristics of what it means to be a Christian. But for some of us, that may be all that the people around us really know about our faith life. You go to church and you wear a cross t-shirt or necklace. You probably know how this ends. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, if you love one another. It's the way that we love. With an encouraging word and sometimes with a hard word. It's the way that we care for not only the people sitting next to you, but even for the people that you don't know very well. It's the way that we're generous with our time, our stuff, our finances. (laughs) Jesus is like, if there's one thing that I want you, my people, to be known for, it's amazing love and amazing generosity. So why do we need a three-week series on this? I mean, all of you value generosity. Why couldn't the entire series just be two words? Be generous, let's pray, see you later. Some of you might like that. The reason is that although we know that generosity is good, You value it. Even people who don't know Jesus or some of you online or in the room who are searching for Jesus, even though you are maybe not a Christian yet, you still value generosity. Even though you value generosity, the truth of the matter is it's hard to be generous. You know it, you value it, it's still hard. If you don't believe me that generosity doesn't come naturally, you probably haven't been a parent because it is a rare child that is good at sharing, whether it be their toy, their video game, or their ice cream. It doesn't come very naturally. I don't know any parent that had to teach their children the word mine. And yet somehow they know it and they say it. 
what you do need to teach your children, what I do, I did need to teach my children is the word share. Because that's what's harder. You know, and, and if you're an adult in the room, as we get older, you know, sharing the last scoop of ice cream, that gets easier. But to varying degrees, being able to live open-handed, depending on who you are and how you're wired, to varying degrees, being able to live not close-handed but open-handed, that is very, very difficult. It's hard, and why is that? I think it goes back to what the pastor named Paul wrote about himself. He kind of, in the, his letter to the Romans, he sort of got really honest with his readers. He's like, here's what's going on in my heart. The good I want to do, I do not do. And yet the evil that I don't want to do, oh man, I just keep on doing that. And then you know how he closes it? He, he sort of dwells and reflects on his heart and you know what he, he goes, what a wretched man I am. I don't do that which I want to do. The reason why this is so hard is because every single one of us, we struggle with something called the sinful nature. We, we were born hardwired because of sin, not because God gave us to the, this to us, but because it was passed down from our sinful parents. We're hardwired to be selfish. We're hardwired to live close-handed. We need help to live open-handed. That's why we need to talk about this. Because all of us, even though we value it, we struggle with it. So, let me encourage you with our first fill-in for today. I want to assure you. I want to motivate you. I want you to recognize that, number one, the generous life is a better life. And for those of you who have been generous, and we all have been generous, I'm sure, in one way or another, you understand that. You recognize that. The joy you can have in living the generous life is better than when you only live for yourself. The impact that you can have, the difference you can make living the generous life is better than if you just live close-handed all the time and don't think about how you can use what you have. The generous life is a better life. And today, what I wanna just start with in part one is where does the generous life come from? Or another way to say that is, what's the motivation to live a generous life? Now, before I get into the verses that are going to be before us today, I want to give you a little bit of background as to what's going on um, in the verses that we're going to read. So we're in the first century. It's about 60 AD or so. And at that time, look at a map here. There was a gathering of Christians. There was a Christian church in this city in Corinth. Some of you might know who started that church. It was a first century pastor named Paul. Now, what Paul would do is he would start churches kind of all around the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea, and he would stay there for a while. And then because he was a church planter, he would then leave and go to another town and begin a new 
church, start a new congregation. Well, as Paul has left Corinth, he's writing to the Corinthians some years later, and he wants to let them know about an opportunity to be generous. Okay, so you see over here in Jerusalem, there was a group of Christians who were going through a whole lot of poverty. They were very, very poor. And we don't know all the details as to why they were poor, but I would suspect a lot of it had to do with their faith. When you're the minority, religiously or otherwise, in an area or in a city, a large minority, or a very small minority, I should say, it makes it hard in many ways, including getting good jobs, finding good income, all that kind of stuff. I'm guessing some of their poverty or most of it had to do with their faith. And so Paul lets the, the Corinthian Christians know about the poverty of the Jerusalem Christians and that there's an opportunity for them to help. And you know what the Corinthian Christians did? They responded quickly and in a very big way. In fact, Paul writes about this in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians when he writes this, verse 10. Last year, you Corinthian Christians, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. You not only had this this longing to help the Jerusalem Christians, but you were the first congregation to respond, the first people to respond and to give. And he wants to commend them for that. But then you know what happened? Life kind of went on. And the promises they made to help the Jerusalem Christians, they kind of forgot about it. I'm guessing it went something like this. Mama needed to remodel the kitchen. And dad, he needed a big screen TV to watch the football game. And the family, they needed to go to Starbucks and on vacation in Damascus and, or maybe a cabin along the Sea of Galilee, a lake home, so to speak. Like life happened, right? And, and the Corinthian Christians forgot. It was a moment, their generosity. It wasn't a way of life. And so you know what Paul does? He writes to them. Not about a capital campaign, not about an offering, He writes to them about generosity. Verse one of chapter eight. And now brothers and sisters, he's again writing to the Corinthian Christians. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul wants to point out as a good example, another group of churches and Christians. Let's go back to the map. So I mentioned Paul started lots of churches. This area up here in red is called the area of Macedonia. And there were churches in that area in cities you've heard of maybe like the city of Philippi, the city of Thessalonica, another town called Berea. And what Paul is doing is he's saying to the Corinthians, let me tell you about these churches and these people I know in Macedonia that didn't just give quickly to a cause, but live the generous life. Verse two, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, the Macedonian churches, and their extreme poverty, 
they were going through their own bit of poverty, probably also for the same persecution reasons in the Roman Empire. Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. (laughs) What does Paul write? He says, there's this town of people, this congregation, they're experiencing extreme poverty. And the response is, what came out of that is rich complaining. Rich stinginess. Rich sorrow. No. Extreme poverty. And what came out of it was rich generosity. Being generous even when they didn't have much. Where did that come from? Well, he mentions that they had overflowing joy. If you had extreme poverty, and maybe some of you have lived that, or you don't even know maybe where the next meal comes from, or you can't buy the basic necessities of life, how many of us do we think would be overflowing? We'd be overflowing in something. But would it be joy? I'll ask it again. Where does that come from? Next verse. For I testify that they, the Macedonian churches, gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service, the service of giving to the Lord's people. You know what's going on in these last three lines? A lot of nagging. Do you know when you usually experience nagging? When people want something. The Macedonian churches, Paul describes, are nagging. Come on, Paul, let us be a part of this giving. Let us be generous. We want to be a part of this. I know that we're poor, but just come on, come on, come on, Dad. (laughs) They're nagging for the ability to be generous, even though they're poor. Now, I do need to press pause here for a moment and just say this. That being generous is not a call for God's people to be reckless. And what I mean by that is this, that God has given us what we have, we're gonna come back to this, what we have, he's entrusted it to us to take care of. And part of the way that we need to use that is to take care of our daily needs, right? This isn't a call for, okay, we have nothing and the little that we have, we're gonna give away and just hope that manna from heaven falls on the floor, okay? It's not what the call is, but here is what is the call. What I think is how we can apply this to our lives is it's a change of perspective. It's a change of focus. It's budgeting in a way where not all of it is budgeted to be spent on ourselves, but that even if we don't have a lot, that we're being wise, we're not being reckless, but we're asking ourselves, hun, how can I be generous with what I have or what we have? It's change of perspective. It's looking at your calendar. 
and not scheduling everything so tight so that there is zero margin to be generous if someone needs some help with something because you literally have no time. You know, a lot of times, many times, most of the time, we need to plan to be generous. We're going to talk more about that next week. But at the end of the day, this is a change of mindset and focus. Because what most of us are when it comes to what we have, or at least what we are naturally, is a sponge. You know what a sponge does? When stuff comes to it, if it's working right, it just stays there. It's meant to absorb and keep. And what God is calling his people to is not to be a sponge, but to be a conduit. Or when the water comes, a conduit allows it to go through them and to someone else or somewhere else, somewhere else. Or I'll say it this way, number two of our fill-ins. When God's blessing comes to us, it should also go through us. When God's blessing of time, when God's blessing of finances, when God's blessing of the unique skills that you have, when those things come to you, we're not sponges. They are meant to also go through you. But I'll ask it again. Where does that come from? How do we do that? Verse five. And they, the Macedonian Christians, they actually exceeded our expectations in their giving and generosity. How did they do it? They, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. You see, generosity is seen in how we bless people around us or maybe a church, but ultimately it's us giving to the Lord. Do, do you remember when, when Jesus um, was talking about the end of the world? It's recorded in Matthew 25. And he talks about someday that the king is going to return. And he's going to say, come all you have inherited the kingdom of God. He says, for when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I had no clothes, you gave me something to wear. And then remember what the people are going to say, and in this teaching said, Lord, when did I see you hungry? When did I see you thirsty? When did I see you needing clothes? And what did Jesus say? What you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. The Macedonian churches, they, they got that. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God, that overflowed as a conduit to other people. Verse six, Paul gets very practical. He says, so we urge Titus, that was a ministry partner of Paul's. We urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace, this act of grace, this giving on your part. Um, again, very practical. What Paul is saying is, Titus is gonna be delivering this letter to you that I'm writing right now, that you and I are reading. When he comes, 
he's going to hopefully bring to completion your generosity by gathering the rest of the offering to take to the people in Jerusalem. Verse seven. But since you excel in everything, he speaks well of the Corinthian Christian congregation. And since you excel in everything, let me name them, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, I encourage you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And do you see what Paul does there? He connects what we do with our stuff and he puts it on the same line as our faith. He says, you know, you do excel in faith. Part of that though is also excelling in this grace of giving. That in some way, the way we are generous is connected to our faith relationship with God. And and Jesus, he spoke this way also in his Sermon on the Mount, where he said, you know what? Be careful because you can't serve two masters. You're either gonna love the one and hate the other or love the other and hate the one. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. You can have both God and money, but what Jesus is pointing out, and it's so true if you're to be you know, honest with yourself, that when it comes to your main purpose of living, <laughs> there can only be one of those. What do we live for? God or our stuff? God or ourselves? And Jesus teaches about money so often, not because he wants your money. I like this phrase I once heard. He said, the pastor said, if God wanted your money, he would just take it. He doesn't want your money. He wants our hearts. He wants our love. And man, does he deserve it? Doesn't he deserve it? So I've asked the same question over and over again. I don't know if you've noticed. Some of you are like, get to it already. Why didn't you answer this question? The question is this, where does this generosity come from? I had to wait because Paul waited a little bit. Why were the Macedonian churches so generous? Is it because they had a soft spot for Jerusalem? Is it because they had a soft spot for social causes? Is it because there was a tax deduction related to giving an offering to the Jerusalem church? The answer to the why was found sprinkled throughout all of these verses. Let me show you. In verse one, Paul commends the Macedonian churches for what? For this this act of grace, this grace that God has given them. In verse six, we read, bring also to completion this offering, this act of grace. Verse seven, see also that you excel, not just in faith, but in the what of giving, in the Grace of giving. The generous life, the motivation for a lifestyle, a way of living that is all about 
regular acts of giving. It is 100% a response to the generosity and love and grace that God has showed to us. Everything I have is a gift from God. Everything you have. Without God, we have nothing. That breath, by grace. The clothes you're wearing today, yeah, you work to be able to get a paycheck to go to Target to buy them. But God gave you the gifts and the health to be able to do that. The clothes you wore, a gift of grace. The car you have, whether you love it or you can't wait to get rid of it, a gift of grace. The people sitting next to you, a gift of grace. Everything we have is a gift of grace. And I didn't even get to the best part yet. It's the last verse that we're looking at. It's the very next verse that we have in the section. Verse nine says this, for you know, Corinthian Christians, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, that though he had everything, he did not live close-handed. How did he live? He lived amazingly open-handed. And for your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might have the riches that this world can never give that people spend a lifetime looking for but never finding on their own. The grace of a savior who would give it all so that we might have it all. You know, uh, this Thursday is uh, Veterans Day. And uh, one of the movies that I watched many years ago now that's always stuck on my heart and on my mind is uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan, because I think of veterans. And it depicts um, D-Day off the shores of uh, Normandy as to what it most likely was like. And you have all these, I'll call young boys, these young men in these big metal containers coming off of you know, coming out from the sea towards the shore. And as you're in that metal container, that metal boat with them in the movie, you know that they know that when that door comes down, they're most likely dead. And when you recognize, when I recognize, not just in World War II, but, you know, through the life of our, our country, the, the willingness of brave men and women to give many of them their lives so that we might be here today, that we might have this country. What, what is the response? It's, man, <laughs> I'm so grateful. It's thankfulness. The grace of Christ blows that out of the water. That when he came to earth, when the proverbial metal door swung down and he was born into this world, he knew, he knew what was waiting for him. 
33 years of temptation and difficulty and being poor, ultimately ending in something even worse at first, his death on a cross. So that we, through his poverty, might have it all. Do you begin to feel the hands slowly opening? The gratitude of a gracious God and a giving, a generosity that is motivated by grace. Number three, amazing generosity grows out of recognizing amazing grace. If you want a lifestyle of generosity and we'll never get this perfect, we're always gonna have our moments, our days, our seasons where we're not generous. That's part of dealing with that sinful nature, but we can grow in it. How does that happen? It comes out of recognizing amazing grace. You know, I started today by just reflecting a little bit on how much I think and feel like our world needs to understand once again what generosity looks like. Because if any, you're anything like me, you're surrounded by lots of noise and complaining and I'll just call it out, hatred and impatience. And if we're to be honest, many of us, if not all of us, have contributed to that in one way or another. But at some point, you and I, we as a church, we as a nation need to stop complaining and we need to ask this question, what can I do? I'm doing a lot of talking. I'm doing a lot of watching. At the end of the day, what can I do? And do you know what most people are doing? Nothing. They're just content to complain. We're just content to whine. And I get it, I understand. And we can't make sweeping changes to Washington on our own or to society or whatever it might be that's getting your heart. But we can do something. You know what it is? Number four. Be generous. Live in a way that gives of your time to the people around you, of your patience, of your love. Yes, even of your finances. We can do something. We can be generous. And the question I want you to think about as we close is this. What's one way This is your application. What's one way that I can be more generous in my life? And I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about that. I want you to experience the joy of the generous life. You may not be able to change the entire world, but you can make a difference by living the generous life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for being the first giver what you've given us is way more than what we could ever give you back. And inside, in our hearts, we know that, we recognize that, but so often we forget that. Lord, I pray that this be a congregation of people, a group of people that understand that our lives are a blessing of grace and that in return, that we live the generous life, that we understand the joy and impact that comes with the grace of giving. We pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name.
Amen.